Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jeff Grammer with the Albuquerque Journal, and this is episode 33 of the Talking Grammar Podcast. Glad you're listening, however you got here, however, uh, whether it's through iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, whatever you're listening to. Maybe it's just on the Albuquerque Journal's website. However you got here, much appreciated for being here. I'm glad to get to bring you some of these podcasts. I'm glad to to keep covering college basketball for you. And as I record this intro right now on Monday, January the 4th, I will be bringing to you um, some sound from uh, Chris Jans, a New Mexico State uh, press conference earlier today. But the primary point of this episode is an interview I had with Lobo basketball assistant coach Dan McHale. And we, we kind of talk about the press. As most Lobo fans know at this point, we, we have a, a team that says they want to press but hasn't always shown that. The last couple of years, they haven't exactly had the personnel to press, and now that they feel they do have that personnel to press, they want to do so. If you saw this past weekend's game, the last or the past two games, they have two game series now in the Mountain West Conference. If you saw this past weekend's series against Nevada, the Lobos did press with varying success. In fact, in the second game, I would say that they had a, a pretty poor showing of their press defense and a lot of layups on the back end. That, that certainly make fans kind of pull their hair out, wonder why they're pressing. But those are some things I talked to Dan about. In, in full disclosure, I recorded this conversation about the press with Dan before the Nevada series, but it was sort of a chalk talk sort of format where I just wanted to know what the point of the press is. What are you trying to get out of it? What are the potential pitfalls? He does talk about the, the potential, if you don't do it right, for easy layups at the back end, which is what Nevada got several of in game two on Saturday. But he also talks about learning the press from the in the Rick Patino coaching tree, which is what he's a part of, and sort of how this press and the Patino press and the basics of the press differ from what Paul Weir initially at his at UNM said he was going to go with, which was the run and stun style of a press, which is a more trapping style of a of a full court pressure defense, and that was taught to him by Kevin Mackey. So there's going to be some variations in what the Lobos do with their press this year. And that, that's what I wanted to talk to Dan about. That's what we do talk about in this episode of the Talking Grammar Podcast. Before I get to that interview, though, I, I do want to point out that the the Aggies, the other team in the state of New Mexico that's going through this um, COVID relocation because of the public health order in New Mexico that prohibits practice or games at this point. I don't think that's going to last, by the way. I do think there will be some, some um, I guess, walking back of, of the uh, of the provision right now that, that won't allow for practices. I don't know when that's going to come, but but I'm confident it will. I don't think that the Aggies and Lobos will have to practice the entire season out of state, outside the state. Um, I don't know that that means any games are going to be coming to New Mexico. I, I can almost guarantee no fans will be allowed in any games this year. I think that's a safe bet at this point, but I do think that there might be some walking back on some some restrictions that are currently prohibit the Lobos and Aggies from even practicing in their own gym, which right now there's there's no science or, or data that suggests that them practicing in the gym is adding to any spread of the virus in their community. In fact, I would argue that if more people were doing what New Mexico State and UNM are doing, which is very close and very strict adherence to to what the governor has asked of, of everybody in the state, and that is, um, you know, social distancing, not going out, not large gatherings, not um, doing anything that puts yourself at risk. And they test three times a week PCR testing, not antigen testing. The the more reliable PCR testing, they're doing three times a week, even though they have relocated out of state to, to just practice and play. So I digress. What I'm going to do now is kind of update you on New Mexico State University situation where they are now number two in the country 
in COVID cancellations right now, or they have the second highest number. I guess technically they're tied for third because there's two teams that right now have had seven games canceled due to COVID-19. That's Detroit Mercy and Iona. They've had seven games canceled. Right on the next tick down at six games canceled, St. Bonaventure, Fordham, James Madison, and New Mexico State University. And I think Charlie Hurley, the SID at New Mexico State, for, for that information. Um, last week, the, the Aggies finally offered their own COVID-19 positive test. They had two, two members of their Tier 1 group about three or four weeks ago test positive, and that, co- that cost them their first three games um, due to their own COVID positive. But then they... they they get clean. They get cleared to play. They drive out to California last week, play Cal State Northridge. They lose the game. Uh, Chris Jan certainly isn't happy about that. They they shouldn't have lost that game. They're a better team than Cal State Northridge. They're just so far behind right now, that, and it was apparent. But they are a better team than CSUN, and that game would not have been lost under normal circumstances by the Aggies, in my opinion. But, but it was. While they're out there, they're thinking, okay, a couple days later, they're going to be able to get that bad taste out of their mouth, that loss out of their mouth, because they're going to play Santa Clara. Well, the day of or the day before, Santa Clara has a positive test. They cancel that game. That's cancellation number four for the Aggies. So NMSU decides to stay out in California, although they don't have the game scheduled. They have the iron in the fire with a couple teams, and finally they get a two-game series set up with UC Riverside that was supposed to be played this last weekend, and it was a back-to-back format. Play the same team two games in two days. That's what the WAC format is going to be like this year, and that starts later this week for the Aggies. So they thought that would be a good way to kind of test out this new back-to-back game format. UC Riverside, they're they're ready, they're practicing, the game is on, the, the two games are on, and then the day before, basically, they find out that Cal State Northridge had a positive test on their team, so they shut down and went on a pause. New Mexico State has tested negative, nothing has affected their team, even though the team they just played had a positive, but because the team they just played had a positive, UC Riverside decided to cancel their game with the Aggies just to be safe even though, again, that the Aggies had not tested positive as a result of playing CSUN. So there you are. In the middle of a practice, we have Chris Jans preparing his team for UC Riverside when an assistant coach comes up and basically breaks the news to him. So I wanted to share some audio right here from Chris Jans' Monday press conference as he found out about games five and six now on the season being canceled and then how he later in the day broke the news to his team. He did not break the news to his team immediately. They continued to practice, but he talks a little bit about how they changed the practice, and it went from basically scouting for an opponent up ahead to uh, doing some other stuff. So I wanted to share that audio with you, and then we'll get to that Dan McHale interview after that. So right now, here's some audio of Chris Jans explaining how he learned about the UC Riverside cancellations and then how he broke it to his team later that day. So on Friday, we're in Riverside and we're practicing and, you know, things are going well. We're, we're excited. You know, we're playing the next two days and guys are getting after it. And probably 30 minutes into practice, James Miller comes strolling up to me with this very awkward and concerned look on his face. And he said, I need to talk to you. And I'm like, right now? And he's like, yep. And he goes, they're not. The games are off. And, you know, I felt like someone drove a stake into my heart. And um, so we, we, we just kind of move on to a shooting drill where I can, I can talk to, you know, the trainer and, the, you know, my staff and kind of get up to speed. And basically they were explaining to me that, that, you know, that their medical staff was 
basically telling the basketball program that um, they, they did not want them to play the games this weekend, even though we didn't have any positive tests at that point. Um, you know, we had, we had tests um, and, and we didn't have any, but, but the opponent before us did. So, you know, that's their medical personnel, their advisory board, what have you. And, and so they, and, and, you know, I'm trying to get my head around it, um, asking questions, et cetera. And our trainer had apparently been going back and forth with theirs during practice, which I was oblivious to. Um, so the shooting drill was like three minutes long. And toward the end of it, you know, I went back to, to James and uh, Mike and like, okay, so are you telling me a hundred percent we are not playing tomorrow? And they're like, yep. So we got about an hour left on the court. <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, keep my emotions in check and, we just switched course. Like we went from scout mode to most of our drills, most of the stuff we had been doing, what we were going to do straight Riverside, playing them two, you know, two back to back games. So um, we just started doing like our normal drills, you know, um, that we would do like in the fall when we didn't have an opponent looming. Um, and, you know, we just, and, and, and we, and we ran, I mean, we ran a lot harder. We ran a lot more. I mean, those guys had to be going, what is he doing why are we doing this and uh, we just we just say hey we, we gotta have to, we're out here we're, we're, we're lathered up and um, who knows where we're going to play next at that point you know so most of the staff are over in the side and, and they're on the phones trying to find someone to play they're trying to you know they're back on the phones and it was wild it was a wild hour um, we practiced more Aggie basketball and got a, we didn't do any of our scout stuff and and um so it was, that was weird. That was a weird deal. Um, and then we ended up, you know, made the decision within a couple hours after that, like didn't look good on, on finding an opponent. We, you know, we didn't want to stay out there for another three, four days and not play. So we decided to, you know, pick up our stakes and pack our tent up and, and come home. And, and we did. And then we practiced yesterday, no, excuse me, Saturday and Sunday. Um, you know, we kind of regrouped, reset, obviously, you know, share with the team what was going on. And, and we just went back to working on ourselves for three straight days. And then, um, and we gave them off today. And then we'll get, um, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll be, uh, and Thursday, obviously, we'll be straight scout more, more than, than just us. And, um, but it was a, a change of, of um, philosophy, you know, on the fly, if you will. And, uh, that was a that was a very weird experience, to be honest with you, to be told that during practice and then just completely alter the practice plan and make new teams and not have a scout team and, and go back to playing five versus five and just working on on us and, and the drills that we would do. And um, that was the first um, for sure. So um, that's kind of where we're at. You said they were probably kind of wondering what what was going on with the way you were having them run and not doing scouting. What was the process of you actually telling them? Was it there on the court uh, at the end? No. When, when did no. you tell them in relation? We, uh, to finding out? We, 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 you know, we had to get off the court because they were coming behind it. Right? You know how that works. So let's say we got done at 110. They were coming at 115. It was like, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. You know, and then we just got them on the bus and got on the bus. And we got to the hotel, we went straight to our meeting room and, and that's when uh, that's when we told them. And that was that was a tough one. That was uh, that was hard, you know, but I, my emotions then were like. It was comical, like, guys, it's, it's almost funny, like this. If you were watching us from 30,000 feet, it, it'd be like a, 
I don't know if there's a genre of this, but like a, a horror slash comedy film, you know, because you can't make this up, you know, what, what's, what's going on and the cancellations and the how and like Santa Clara, for instance. So we're playing them on the, when are we playing them? The 31st? Is that right, Charlie? We're going to play them the 31st? So we play the 28th, get whipped, licking our wounds, uh, wait to play again. Um, on the tw- they played USC on the 28th. They tested after the game. On the 29th, right, they called us and said they had a positive in their tier one. Game was off. So, oh, my God. So, no. We had already been trying to get more games out there. So, we had, we had irons in the fire, you know. Uh, I'm not going to get into who, but there were other programs that we were kind of real close at, at, at writing a contract up to playing, and they got positives during the talk. So that was off the table. Um, and then we sent, end up with, with Riverside. Well, Santa Clara calls us game day, the 31st, and says, hey, you ain't going to believe this. But uh, we tested the next day, and we were all negative. And, you know, we're like, wow. I mean, like, that's crazy, right? Now, they're still in whatever protocols they have to, to you know, disprove the positive or, or what have you. I don't know the exact terminology, but, um, you know, uh, but it, it's just, you know, so we had one team that out of an abundance of caution didn't play. And then another team that, that had a positive called the game. And then now at least they had one round of tests that I know of. Um, that were all negative. I don't know what they've done since. I haven't been in contact with them. So um, it's wild, man. I mean, it's it, it's wild. All right, so there you go. There's Chris Jans kind of explaining how he found out about his latest uh, struggles on the road and being a relocated team in the COVID era and, and kind of how he went on with practice, told the team later before uh, telling them that games or cancellations five and six were had already happened. So, um, and why not, right? Why waste a good practice? So, there we are. There's the struggles New Mexico State are going through. And, of course, the UNM Lobos are going through their own set of struggles in Lubbock as they try and play a season, as they try and go forward with uh, with not having a home gym to get practice in. They they sometimes practice and level in Texas at South Plains College, which is 30, 40-minute bus ride from their hotel. And uh, sometimes they do practice at Lubbock Christian University, which is where they are allowed to play their games. Um, it's just all around the men's and women's practice schedules at both of those schools and and they don't have a a, an arena or a gym to get to early and put up shots or or late and put up shots so either they they work on those horrible free throws that they've uh you know had some pretty bad percentages they work on those during their their 90 minutes that they do have gym access or they do things like implement the defense which the team and dan McHale and paul weir both said is probably about 40 percent implemented right now and so that's why I, I talked with Dan a little bit about what, what they are looking for in a press defense. If Lobo fans are watching a game, what they what little elements should they be looking for? And and this is the stuff that has not yet been fully implemented for a team that doesn't have its home gym. It is things like the offense and the defense and, and pressure and schemes about their press full court press defense and where you're when you're supposed to trap, when you're supposed to pressure, when you're supposed to drop back, those kind of things. That's what I talked to Dan McHale about, again, recorded before the Nevada series. It's not really team-specific. And here's my conversation with UNM Lobo assistant coach and the guy focusing primarily on the defense, Dan McHale. Uh, Dan, what's up, man? How are you doing? What's happening, Jeff? <laughs> Good to see you, man. This is, uh, I know this is crazy times. Um, thank you for doing this, first of all. I know you guys are 
tell us where you are. You're in you're in Lubbock, I assume, right? We're in Lubbock with the residents in in Lubbock, Texas, right now. It's very so, across the street from uh, from Texas Tech. Okay, okay. Um, as I record this, as we record this, because I'm not entirely sure yet when it's going to post. But as we record this, just so people listening are going to know, this is um, Wednesday, the day before your second Mountain West series with Nevada. And um, you guys obviously are already out in Lubbock, and that's where you will be hosting games this year. Um, what, you know, Before we get into the kind of X's and O's I want to talk to you about, primarily with press defense and stuff like that, I, you know, g- give me a quick rundown of just sort of the – the general feel right now, like it's it's a weird year. Are you how are you surviving, man? Is it is it wearing on you? Uh, not so much us. I mean, you know, it's tough being away from our families, obviously, but um, being able to spend this much time with a good group of guys that we have and, and, and a really really fun coaching staff, uh, you got you to look at the positives right now. You know, we we're all have good health and um, we're, we're playing the game of basketball. So you know, when you look at the positives. Yes, it is tough, and you know, you're not going to lie, but but we're able to to do what we love and to be around great people, and so um, you know, we're just taking it one day at a time. You guys obviously have some, and, and this plays into a little bit of what we'll be talking about. Um, but in a broader sense, you guys have some limitations on on when you can coach, when you can practice, when the players can can just put up shots, all those kind of things. And in a broader sense, before we nail, you know, get down into the the more specifics. How how restricted are you guys from implementing what on a normal year? Um, you know, we're we're at New Year's now, so in the middle of a season, when as you guys are entering league play, normally you would have X percentage of your defense in. You guys have what percentage of it in right now? About thirty-five to forty, I'd say. Okay, it's yeah. um. Well, well, let me ask you a follow-up to that: is is when you say thirty-five to forty? If we're starting from zero to 100%, is it the same 35 to 40 that it would normally be? Or do you just sort of actually approach it with a different way, knowing you may not get to 100 um, this season? No, you try. You try to teach as much as you can. You teach every day. And, and it's with a lot of new faces and guys learning the system for the first time. They, they have to understand why we're doing it. You know, we have to – yeah, you look at the, the, the totality of our defense and then you got to break it down part by part so they can see where we're trying to go with it. So um, – to tell Jeremiah Francis, you know, we're going to pick up full court and we're going to be in our our full court press every single possession. And and we're going to start trapping during this scenario. We're going to start uh, denying the point guard during this scenario. The only way to get better of it is is doing it every day in practice. And and obviously we've been limited with that, but um, they're getting there. They're they're a a great group to coach. Um, It's just, it's, it's tough. You know, we get on a butt. We we got here Sunday. We were able to practice at Lubbock Christian Sunday night. Um, after a five and a half hour bus ride, and then we haven't been able to get back in the gym at Lubbock until today. Um, right. Next couple of days, we had to go to Leveland. So, telling these guys, you know, get taped, get on a get on a bus. We're gonna bus forty minutes, then we're gonna practice, and we're gonna bus back. Um, it it kind of wears on you a little bit. So, the reason I'm talking to you about defense, and the reason, um, you know, your your background is defense. Um, let's let's just do a, a refresher course for anybody who may not know you. You have obviously the Patino coaching tree um, in in your coaching DNA. Uh, can you give us a quick rundown of why you uh, what what you know about the press through the Patino coaching um, education you've had? Yeah, and no, I was very fortunate to, to work at Louisville for Coach Patino for a number of years, and then uh, carried that over with Kevin Willard, who's now the successful head coach at Seton Hall uh, for a number of years, and then I worked with with, with Rich Patino, who's off to a great start at Minnesota. Um, and so learning the press was something that um, 
I was able to absorb from, from some great basketball minds. Uh, but you have to have the right personnel to have that. Uh, last year's team, per se, didn't, didn't really have the makeup of a pressing team. This year's does. It, it's, you know, you take away, obviously, um, the buzzsaw we ran into in Boise, which we weren't able to get into our press. Um, but this team does. We, we got some athletic kids, some fast twitch kids, uh, and, and some kids that really want to play hard and aggressive on D. So um, our defense and our press will, will evolve throughout the course of the year. You just have to stick with it. It's one of those things – you can't just press a little bit. Like you have to be all in to press. And that's what I learned at a young age from Coach Patino. You can't, you, you know, you, you watch some games and you see a team press, you see a team get beat over the top. Well, they don't work on it every day. So you have to keep working on it every single day and, and understand the value of it. And the value is we're going to play 10, 11 guys and we're going to wear down the opponent. So five minutes to go in the game, you know, hopefully, you know, we, we, we can break them. And, and that's the idea of a pressing team. There's um from from Paul's first time first day here first season, um he he talked with not not a Patino disciple per se but uh, another uh, coach who was fond of the press and that was the run and stun with Kevin Mackey and and there's some variations I know is there is there a real obvious variation that you can explain between what the run and stun principles were and, and kind of what the more Patino classic Patino press might be? Yeah, a little bit. I think the run and stun they they, they try to trap right away and get you right away. Um, where the patino press has a couple different layers to it. You're going to trap on the speed dribble. You're going to trap, uh, you know, not right away. You know, you, you kind of guy in the ball, he, he drops back to the free throw line and he reads. And the guy guarding the ball, his job is to speed up the offensive player. And so once he gets sped up, whether his back is turned, whether it's a spin dribble, that's when you, that's when you press. Uh, and then he's got different presses for dead balls and free throws. I am, you know, he calls it his, his black-white press. Well, white, you're on the ball. The black press is when – you flip it and you try to deny the inbounder. Uh, so we've been doing that a little bit as well. When, when you, um, when you teach the press to, to these guys, like how, how do you start? What's, what's kind of one one what's, what's day one of the, the entry level freshman level course of, of, uh, of what you're hoping to get out of the press? What your job is, you know, do your job. So if you're, if you're guarding the ball, your job is to get in a stance, force him to his weekend, get him in a speed dribble. The guy, second part of the press, the guy who, who's going to be the guy that's trapping, where do we want to trap? Do we want to trap in the coffin corner? When, you know, if it's a deep inbounds, do we want to trap right over half court? You know, we put these little boxes on our practice court every day. Um, the managers do a great job of just laying down the tape. We want to get a trap kind of near the sideline. Well, where's that coming from? We never want to trap up. Because you trap up, you get beat over the top, and you give up layups. We want to trap from behind. Um, so it's really just explaining to these guys do your job. Okay. So now you get two guys in a trap. Well, the other three guys in the court are just as important. So now you got to read, you have a guy probably splitting the difference between two guys. He can't just go hug one man. He's got to Now we call it the center fielder. He's got to play center field and kind of read the flight of the pass and try to get a steal from that back line of the press. I know that, um, I guess for purposes of this, like we'll just use your starting five from, from the last game, which was Jeremiah Francis at the one, um, Saquon Singleton at the two, McQuatch Malawatch at the three, Rod Brown at the four, and Byron Matos at the five. Um, people assume that the the guy at the back end of this uh, probably has the the least the, the the smallest role in this. But um, then again, before your time here, I think Lobo fans might remember a Tennessee Tech game where there were probably twenty layups in the second half against the Lobos when they were pressing, and the guy at the back end wasn't able to stop it. So. I assume all five you would preach have a, a, a very valuable role in pressing, even if they're not in the, in the backcourt pressing the guy with the ball. 
Yeah, they do. So, so for our press, you know, Jeremiah's on the ball handler and Rod is typically at the front of the press. So now that leaves McQuatch and, and Saquon to kind of be the second line guys. And again, like I just described, they're anticipating where the ball is going to go. They're reading the D. But if Byron's the anchor in the back, he's just as important. He's got to protect the paint. We can't give up layups. We'd rather let them kick to the corner and, 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 and scramble out of it rather than him and Byron leaving the paint and go to the corner. His job is to stay in the paint, protect the rim, and have the back pursuit come from behind and slow down the ball handlers. And I'm not looking to throw any specific player on this roster under the bus. I, I know you already mentioned that last year wasn't made as much for doing the press like you guys want to this year. This year's team's made a lot more for it. What are you looking for? It's an ideal pressing team. The, the players have the makeup of what, and then what might you have in a player that you would just kind of have to say, look, let's not press while this guy's in. Yep. High energy guys for one. High energy guys. That's why Rod and Emmanuel, you know, are pretty much at the top of the press when they're in there because they're high energy athletic kids. And then secondly, guys who are, are willing defenders that, that understand, you know, Kirk Curry checks in the game. My job is to speed up the ball handler, get him uncomfortable. Um, and, and, and read the defense. Then, then we have some, some long athletic guys like McQuatch and Saquon um, that can kind of be the second line guys that, that use their length to anticipate. So it, it's a combination of three things. You want to have high energy guys at the top of the press. You want to have some length at, at, uh, at the kind of the, the center court area. And then you want to have a, a tough as nails defender like, you know, Kurt and, and, and Jeremiah, he works his tail off as well. Uh, just getting into guys and really, really speeding up ball handlers. I don't know. Uh, look, there's a lot of different um, opinions of like of a synergy sports and stuff like that. And you know, I was looking at some synergy numbers earlier, and the, the sample size is so small this year anyway that it's it's kind of hard to uh, to read too much into this. But you know, I'm looking at synergy sports, which breaks down all of your games. And um, not only is it, I'll, I'll say this: not only is it a small sample size at this point, but a couple of those games were against the non D1 opponents, so it's hard to gauge what you're getting out of those games. But it's showing me that you guys press so far this year, uh, 27.5% of the time, which is 81 possessions. What 27.7% like, or 27.5% of the time, how often do you want to press? What should that percentage be for you guys? Cause it can't be a hundred and, and we all understand that sometimes you guys miss a shot and you know, they get out on the break there themselves and it's kind of hard to press then. So it won't be a hundred, but what percentage ideally are the UNM levels going to be pressing this year? Yeah, I don't know who's charting the surge. You know, I go back, I, I rechart every game. And right now, my percentage, we're, we're pressing 82% of the time on makes or dead balls. So I don't know if they're putting fast breaks or, 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 um, or, or, yeah. You know, and then, yeah, that is, that's, um, that's, uh, it says press D, but I, I imagine yeah. that they're counting every possession. So they're not counting any time they make. So, but, yeah. not, but you're doing 82% yeah. on, on dead balls. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we do. We want to press on pretty much every every make or dead ball or free throw. Um, we're going to get into our press, and it's just going to be what's it going to look like. Do we have a, a full court where we're trapping right away? Is it one of these we're waiting for the speed dribble? Is it one where we're kind of shadowing the uh, the point guard and getting the ball out of his hands? So we're going to press every possession we can. Uh, obviously, we got to score it again to press. Um, and, and, so, and sometimes after timeouts, we'll change defenses up. We, we throw in a little one-through-one zone or something like that. So that's really where the uh, – so I'm breaking my room. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's kind of where, where it gets skewed because if you try and just, you know, coach calls a timeout, he's working the whole time, 
the opposing coach on how to break the press. Sometimes we'll, 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 we'll switch up defenses just to keep them off kilter. But uh, for the most part, we want to press on every possession. As soon as that ball goes through the hoop, we have a guy in the ball jumping around, making it difficult to get in the guards in a stance, forcing it uh, you know, to, to the opposition's weekend. What, what's the worst thing to go against against the press? I know Boise State was a horrible matchup all around for you guys this early yeah. in the year especially. But, uh, you know, how much is a Ray J. Dennis going to basically blow up a press for a team that's not probably – as well, you know, practiced as you guys are. Now, we, it was a tough matchup for us. He, he's a – give him credit. I think he's the most improved player in the Mount West. I really do. But he, he's, a, he's a strong, quick, physical guard that we couldn't, we couldn't speed up. He was, he was in, in, in control the whole game, and, and, and we tried. So, uh, he's a tough matchup. We, we need to get guys who aren't as fast as him. Uh, and guys that aren't as savvy, really, uh, for our press to, to look good right now. Now, come February, I'm hoping our press is at the point where now doesn't matter who it is. We're, we're going to get you uncomfortable, get you on your heels, and, and, and speed you up here a little bit. But he's a tough matchup. I think you know, the next couple games coming up, we'll be able to really uh, impose our will a little bit more than we did. You said, uh, you know, repeatedly you, you've talked about the, the, the desire to speed teams up. You know, what is the point of the press? Is it just to – speed them up. Most people think a press is all about getting a steal. And and that's not obviously 100% of what you're, you would love a steal, but that's not all the time what you're going for. What, what are you going for with the press? We want to get good, good offensive teams out of rhythm. You know, if we can get them out of rhythm, they're start to initiate their half court offense with, you know, 19 seconds on the clock rather than 26, uh, wear them down to where now they're out of their spots and they, they can't set up their offense. And a perfect example is Utah state. Why we match up with them so well is they're a very, very good, offensive basketball team from the half court well if we can if we can speed them up and now once they get the ball over they're not set in their right positions well now we, we've won because now we've chewed up some clock and now they're not going to be able to execute probably at the level that they want to execute at yeah i mean and you guys have pit for those that remember i mean you guys have had some really close games with utah state and utah state's been pretty darn good the last couple of years and um you know, obviously they, they lost Sam Merrill and, and uh, Abel Porter was a, was a good point guard for them too, but in, in a different way than an RJ Dennis is a good point guard for Boise State. So um, as you guys progress this season, or actually before that, um, what's the conversion or what's the uh, what do you do to convert from the press to, uh, to your half-court defense? And what's the philosophy behind the typical um, half-court defense this year for the Lobos? Yeah, we, we want to be aggressive in the front court. We want to take some chances and, and, and try to get some traps, try to get some steals, you know, as the game goes on. In the half court, we want to stay solid. You know, we're, we're a help defensive team. We, we don't want guys going to their strong hands. So if he's a strong righty driver, we want to make sure they go left. And this has been something where our guys haven't grasped it yet. You know, we're saying, you know, keep him off his right. Well, that doesn't mean just totally open up and give straight line drives anyway. You know, you have yeah. to be able to split the difference and, and, and guard your man. But, you know, we're, we're a switching team. We switch a lot um, in the half court, and, and we try to never have two guys on the ball, um, never having two on the ball, which obviously good teams are able to, to exploit that. So we want to stay solid in the half court, um, you know, not gamble. You know, we're not reaching. We're not lunging. Uh, we're just trying to use our switching to take you out of things uh, and, and then still continue to close out with high hands, which, is, which has been, you know, a weakness of this team um, in the early, in the early part, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get a switch and there's eight seconds on the clock and then we'll drop our hands and give up a three. And th these are the teaching moments that we need to keep working through. Pressure is a term obviously that comes up a lot with, with the press, which is, you know, part of the word. 
Um, safe to fair to say that you guys, even in the half court, are a high pressure defense, or is that is that misleading in in any way? Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, you look at some teams. Some teams are pack line, or they just they just pack it in, and their their toes are at the, at the three point line. We're not. We're gonna pressure you. We're gonna get it. We're gonna get up in you, um, especially you know some of our quicker guys. And we want to be disruptive. You know, we chart deflections, and deflections isn't just in the press. Deflections is in, you know, the half court. Can we get a piece of a pass? You know, can we get a, a foot on the ball? You know, really just trying to bother the opposition with our activity level. What's the uh, downside to to all this? Um, you've you've lived it enough where if there's a weakness in the press or something that opens up, especially if the if if it's not working the way you design it and draw it up. Um, I, I know Lobo fans wonder about the three-point shooting and all that kind of stuff. Does does the pressuring the guy with the ball and the help and all that kind of stuff, does that lead into some open threes sometimes, or is that not really you know, no, it the does. downside? It does because um, teams that have great spacing, obviously heard the press, teams with great spacing and, and team, you know, teams that get us in what we call a scramble mode when we have to keep continually – helping on dribble penetration and the next guy's helping the other guy. And, and it, if they can get a scrambling, which, which good teams do at times, uh, and that's when you see shots go down. Um, you know, the, the thought process of the press is we're going to wear you down where you're not going to make those shots uh, late in the second half. Uh, and, and hopefully we can continue to do that. But teams that space you out and can get us in scramble mode are definitely uh, effective ways to beat a Preston team. How close are you guys? I know you said 35 to 40% of what you've kind of put in at this point. But, you know, if not using 100% uh, as as the, the gauge here, I'm curious how close you guys are um, to what you want them to be at right now. Like, you know, in fairness, they're not going to be where you ideally want to be, you know, in late December. But like right now, what's what what can you expect out of them if if over the next couple games against Nevada or next week at Utah State or versus Utah State? Like what would be a, a an A grade for uh, for Dan McHale in, in the defense in the next four games? You know, it, it's – I go back and, and, and you chart and, and you break down the film. Right now we're at about 38 to 40 possessions of breakdowns right now, and 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 that number needs to get in the teens. We need to – after a game, you're never going to pitch a perfect game, but there's got to be only 15 instances where, okay, guys, you, we didn't execute this correctly. And then come February, that that, that goes in single digits. Now when we, we, we grade the tape, look, we, we – Eight times were we out of our stance. Eight times do we not rotate. And that's what has to get to. Right now, we're about 40 a game. Um, and that's okay, but our guys need to learn from it. They have great effort. They have great energy. That's all I care about right now. Great effort, great energy. Now, we need to stop trapping when we shouldn't trap, overhelping when we don't need to overhelp. Uh, ball goes in the post, and, and, and a guy sinks and loses man, and we give out a kick out three. Those are the things right now that we've been showing on film over the last two weeks that just can't happen. Um, and so getting that number of 38 to 40 down into the teens in the next couple of weeks, and obviously in single digits as the year goes on, that, that'll be, that's, that's my goal. Can it happen? Yeah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> Look, I know, uh, I know there's no way to quite understand even at the end of the year, it'll take some time to digest it all. So we can't really understand what's going on right now. But when you talk to your friends in this business, a lot of them are the, the Patino family, the right. Patino coaching tree family that know what you're trying to do and, and what is, is or isn't happening on the court if they happen to catch a, a piece of one of your games. What, what are they telling you in terms so, of like, in terms of actually like what's going on on the court? Kind of yeah, stuff? No, I talked I talk to Richard Patino he, he, two weeks ago. I mean, the world was coming to an end and they got blown out of Illinois by about 40. And he just said, look, I couldn't lose it on the guys. I, they're so fragile right now. You just have to – he's like, we didn't even watch the tape. We, we threw out the tape. 
And since then, they've beaten St. Louis. Iowa was fourth in the country and just blew the doors off Michigan State. So I called him the other day. I said, what are you doing? He's like, same thing I told you 10 days ago. You know, block out the noise and just coach your guys every day the most positive way. And, and for us, you know, we're not sleeping in our own beds. And, and we can't use it as an excuse. we got to use this as our kind of a rallying cry, our mantra. And as frustrated as you get it, it's sometimes these guys, they're, they're kids and, and they're, they're uprooted from where they, they – they didn't sign here to go do this. When they signed their letter of intent over, you know, school, school Y, they didn't know that they'd be on the road for, for the next however long we're on the road for. And, and that's okay. You just have to, you have to understand their kids and you got to coach them and, and, and still give them tough love and, and show them what we, what we, what we expect. But at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's a journey. It's a marathon. And, um, and we just have to keep chipping away every day. You, you mentioned Minnesota there and I'll, I think I mentioned it too when we talked before, but yeah, Minnesota, I, I'm an eight, one of the 64 AP voters this year. And I went from with Minnesota from unranked uh, even a week ago after they had that first win of uh, yeah. over St. Louis. Um, you know, I, I still had questions about them. They, they did yeah. get blown out by Illinois. So I still had questions. So on my ballot this past week, they're, they're due every Monday morning. And I went from unranked to 15, which is a, a pretty big jump, obviously for in the AP top 25. And um, they're, they're good, man. They, they look, they certainly look good, but you wouldn't have thought that after that Illinois game. And that's why yeah. in this year of all years, sometimes maybe judging the, the one game or the two game sample sizes, isn't fair. Sometimes right. it's going to tell you who a team is, but you know, this isn't looking for excuses for you guys. This is for everybody. Sometimes a one or two game sample size isn't the story about a team. No, it's, it's, it's the more resilient, the most resilient team is, is, is going to be the, the team that wins every, every game this year. So that's what we got to keep preaching. You know, this is the cards for dealt guys. We're in this together. Let, let's, let's take a step back. Let, let's think about the importance of the things in life. We have our health. We're all together. Um, you know, some people have a lot worse. So let's, let's go out there and, and play the game of basketball and continue to get better every day. Cool. Well, that's what I need. I mean, obviously, Lobo fans are, are always curious about the defense, um, which, which, you know, even when the defensive, defenses have been really good in Lobo history recently, it's really been more about a, a pace and a slowing down of things. It, it did have more of, a, I think, in my mind, a, a pack line kind of mentality and, um, you know, protecting the paint and that kind of stuff. And, and I'm, the press wasn't a part of the good defenses of the past decade or so. And uh, I think people want it to be though, that, you know, the heyday, the, the storm and Norman days that I'm sure you've heard at least some about, you know, that the running and some pressing and stuff like that was people loved it, man. It's an exciting brand of basketball. And I think people are, are desperate to see it return here. And, and uh, we'll, we'll see how close you guys get it to what you want it to be this year. Look, we're, we're, we're aiming for, for three or four days in March in Vegas. And if we're, if we're kicking by then, we'll be a tough out, a really tough out. And so that's what we're going to work every day. Win, lose, or draw, whatever the next 19 games happens, we just have to keep getting better and, and play our best basketball come early March. The guys doing good? They are. You know, I think I give them a lot of credit. A lot of credit. They, 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 they're, they're, they're a resilient bunch. They, they don't, you know, complain. Um, you know, you know the, the struggles I talked to you about about eating all their meals together, in that, you know, in, in, in their room and everything. But their kids, they just want to go out there and, and I, I, we we talk about as a staff. We need a win for these guys. These guys yeah. need, need they need it. It, it. I gotta see a smile on their face. I really do. And um, you know, they, they work hard. They deserve it. Sounds good, coach. I appreciate you doing this. Um, if, if there's one, there's one, I guess, uh, thing to sign off with. If the Lobo fan is watching. 
yep. uh, a, a game and they don't see the score, they, they know you guys are succeeding defensively if, if they see what? They're not seeing the score. If, if, if they see the other team on their knees in the second half and, and we're standing tall right now, they'll know that, that our, our, our press and our defense is working. A lot of sucking wind, huh? A lot of sucking wind. If the other team is, is bent over and we're just getting stronger as, as the game goes on, we know we've done our job. All right, there you go with uh, with Dan McHale. There's my interview from last week. It was before the Nevada series, but I appreciate Dan McHale for taking the time to do that, and I uh, hope to bring you some of these all season long. Some of them will be this sort of generic format of a chalk talk kind of. What are you trying to do? Give us some X's and O's explanation of what of what fans might be looking at on the court, not so much the opponent that's coming up or or anything like that. Stuff that'll really last for the whole season. In this case. That's what they want out of their press defense. This is what they're looking for. These are the elements that uh, go into a good press and what makes a bad press and, and the pitfalls with it. So I appreciate, again, UNM for, for letting that happen and for, for Dan to take the time to let that happen. And hope you enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. I'm always on Twitter. My email is always open, ggrammar at abqjournal.com. On Twitter, it's at Jeff Grammar. Again, that's Jeff with the G, G-E-O-F-F-G-R-A-M-M-E-R. And uh, I'm, I'm interactive on Twitter, You, as most of you probably know by now. So reach out to me there. Send me an email. Give me some feedback. Let my bosses know what you think. If you get this on i, whether it's on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get this, leave a comment there. All those comments are open. Rate it. Subscribe. All that good stuff. Appreciate you listening. And as, as always, subscribe to the Albuquerque Journal, abqjournal.com slash subscribe is how you get there. And all our coverage is on abqjournal.com slash sports. So I think that's it. I think that's the whole rundown. Again, hope you enjoyed episode 33 of the Talking Grammar Podcast. We'll get another one coming to you sometime next week.